podcast guides takes a long view and a long price. Spoilers will be commonplace. Listen at your own risk. Good morning, faithful reader. Welcome, fortunate seeker. This is Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata. And Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a whirlwind reread of a practical guide to evil where... A historian. And a literature scholar. Tackle the big questions about one of the greatest novels of the age, such as... Will we ever learn more of this mysterious lady of the lake? Why is an archer using a knife and winning a fight? And how bad would it be if an evil force took control of Masego? Hopefully we never have to find out. (laughs) (laughs) My mother used to tell me it gets worse before it gets better, but I found it's usually the other way around. Eudokia, the oft-abducted. Basilia of Nike, Nicaea, Nikkei, Nikai, Nikai, Nike, Nikki, Nikai. One of those will leave them all. Just, we did last just leave them all in. And this part two. <laughs> Whatever. So in this chapter, they talk a lot and get a visitor. Wow. I mean, a pretty good summary, I would say. I can. Also do a longer summary if you'd like. We could make it a conversation and kind of just go part by part. Let's try it for this episode. What, like the whole chapter? Just like talk about this whole chapter? Do you have a problem with that, goat spawn? Spawn of a goat? I am deeply offended to the point where I'm going to choose to start discussing practical guide rather than respond to your hurtful words. So apparently Kat likes to tell people that they are the descendants of goats. And... For me, I think that is interesting. Am I wrong in feeling? I don't know if it's ever said anywhere, but in feeling like Kalos more, I don't know, deep country than goat country? They do definitely have more of an ovine feel than an ovine feel. Kalos feels like sheep and cows and horses. It's England, you know? Or at the worst, France. Sure. But like France, 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 not HRE France. Right. So I'm wondering if maybe the reason. He often goes for goats to insult people as the apprentice notices here. Uh, is just because in Callow, sheep are the normal food animals, the normal herd animals, and goats are the bad little things from Price. Also, them eyes, though. They do we have freaky little eyes. And if you haven't looked at goat eyes lately, congratulations. But the apprentice has to provoke profanity from Catherine because he has to feel her up feel her muscles up specifically and check what's wrong with them because you may recall last chapter she smashed herself to pieces and reanimated herself like a puppet in order to punch a snake in the face until it blew up wait which face she had a lot to choose from if i recall that's it might not have specified probably the head face okay she punched a snake in one of its faces got it that's why they have that why sometimes you can hear someone call someone else a two-faced snake they're saying Mm. you're a deficient snake you only have two faces right 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 but he's encountering something absurd. He says, Catherine, did you use necromancy on yourself? And she says, I've been known to dabble, because she's just a mischievous little thing. Yeah. And in response to this impossible aberration, says, 
that shouldn't be possible. Now, the speech take on this, you likely assume is said or marveled, wondered, said plus an adjective, pardon, said, said plus an adverb to that effect. But remember, this is a future Hierophant. He's going to just say, that shouldn't be possible, he noted. Just checking it off. Love this guy. It shouldn't be possible, which is what makes it interesting. It's not a, he's not complaining. It's not a bad thing that it's not possible and she did it. It's just, yeah. While we're taking detailed notes on what happened, one of the things that's true about this is, uh, probably, probably reality doesn't want that, but here we are. I respect it. Then reality, then reality needs to get good, fam. Uh, frankly, I think that the crew in this room is trying to work on that. Or will be trying to work on that eventually. I thought they were trying to work out how Catherine got in this whole mess in the first place. Yeah, uh, they are. And these explains that, hey, just because her limb is broken doesn't mean it's dead. Which, I mean, he's right, I think. I'm not a doctor, but Catherine che is checking in with Hawkram about, wow, that sounds really bad. Uh, you, you know, what do you think, Hawkram? And Hawkram is... Uh, a little distracted because he has learned that Catherine has punched a massive snake in the head until it died. And he's a little caught up on that detail. And I have to say, Squire isn't a, doesn't sound like a particularly punchy name based on the sort of cultural baggage I carry. And yet a pattern is starting to develop with Catherine's role here. Now, I know that this isn't the case, but... Do you think there's like a punch knight that she could eventually have transitioned into? One punch black queen? Yeah, one punch knight. One 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 punch queen. Yes. Next question. My next question is why didn't she then? Because that would have been really cool. Because black broke the transition. Is black a villain? That sounds like a bad thing to do. Yes and yes. So Catherine starts to feel a little better as she's taken care of and she wonders if it's because it was a reassuringly familiar feeling or if it's because it was or if it's because she had two men she rather liked fussing over her. Except fussing is a fussing is a certainly involved verb. And the two things directly preceding her telling us this are the tall orc sighing, cat, if you punch everyone who mouths off to you, we'll down half our officer corps. And the apprentice commenting dryly the surviving half would be very polite though and while this is great catherine needs to raise her standards for a fuss she's making a big fuss over little fuss i don't know i am just fussy about this sure i would argue that there's a lot going on in this scene that we aren't getting perfect description of it sets up hey they're taking care of cat and then we just get the discussion mostly hawkram is a fusser and i i think i'm going to stand by that pretty firmly he is one who fusses he's you know, very professional and very effective at it. He will get things done. He gets a lot of fussing done in a very little amount of time. But he fusses over Kat. Well, I'm glad he does, because she needs him to keep her from breaking herself down too much. Because, frankly, her options for recovery are kind of limited. Maybe? Yeah. Uh, Kat says that she's not sure that priestly healing would work on her anymore because of her career path. And Z's counters with squire isn't a fundamentally villainous name regardless you know regardless of what side catherine herself is on the name itself and i don't know i it's that's interesting because in a lot of places priestly healing of that sort 
just fixes people and doesn't work or hurts various abominations depending on what the setting is. And in the guideverse, it depends on which side you are on, I guess. And uh, that's interesting to me. I, I guess I hadn't really noticed that later on, that good healing, priestly healing, just doesn't work on villains. To be fair, while Catherine is certainly a person, she is also an abomination, increasingly. Well, sure. And I think if Catherine's line had been there alone, that w- I would say, yep, necromancy, done. Yep, of course. But Apprentice's follow-up, as though he's saying... Actually, it might. It feels like he's saying it actually might work on you because you're not. You don't have a purely villainous villain. Wow, because you don't have a purely villainous name. It really sounds like the role itself is the question mark here, not what one does with it. But what Catherine does with it is abominable. Oh sure. She does necromancy, as Hakram notes. And yet Masego reacts scoffingly to that. There's nothing inherently villainous about necromancy, adjutant, or any kind of magic for that matter. Cultural taboos are just that. And I think that's, assuming he's right, and he is because he's Masego, fascinating. I'm absolutely down for settings where necromancy is non-villainous, but it is a distinct choice if that's the case. And apparently that distinct choice may be made. It's interesting that he's saying that necromancy being lowercase bad or lowercase evil is a cultural thing, a cultural taboo, which means, assuming that doesn't change, frankly, that is going to then mean that it matters for the roles as well, that roles are going to take necromancy toward the side of evil, right? Like, necromancy, if it's based on the stories that are you know, worn into creation, if every story about necromancy is, oh, all the good people don't like it and the bad people use it, then it's going to be a bad thing, uh, you know, an evil thing, objectively. Bad thing is a question mark. You know, in winter 2011-2012, I think, I want, back then, I wrote and illustrated a children's book called Little Necromancer and the Best Day Ever. And I think that was a good thing. What sort of name do you think that book would have had? Is Little Necromancer the name of the character? Capital N name? Yes. Cool. The only other name in the book is Cthulhu. Oh, and maybe Necronomicon. That might come up. Fun fact about children's books. You can just go for it. So Catherine is told that necromancy is not necessarily villainous, and she totally Williams and says, I've reached deep into my name, Masego. It's not a pleasant thing. And rather than entertaining her for a moment... The chubby mage smiles thinly and says, spoken like someone who has never seen the aftermath of an angelic intervention. Which which is true, because horrifying and bad. But I'm curious now, has he? Or is he just being, I've read a book, and now I understand exactly what it was like to be there when the bombs were dropped. What? He, He did say aftermath, and I could very easily see a field trip as a young child where old warlock said, hey, an angel did a smite. Let's go check it out. Okay. I would like to change my question from has he to he has. That's a good question. But they transition here into revealing, hey, William Sword is angelic. Because Masego knows that and nobody else realizes because they're fools. Mm-hmm. And Catherine is a little dubious about the fact that it is a piece of an angel because she's seen it splice into stone. And we get uh, a little quote from uh, from Z's. 
to embrace contrition is to feel the bite of regret. And then he goes on to explain that uh, the contrition angels, the yeah, that the contrition angels are not known for subtlety, fair, or their understanding of metaphor, which is extremely funny to me. That the line about ah, uh, you'll feel the bite of regret, and the angels are like, yeah, we bite things hard, we 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 break stuff because of regret. Like, there's just such a good a good. I don't understand metaphor very literally. What we do is break into things. We bite things. So it's such a I shame think, we never get much with angels in the book. Fortunately, every time William's on screen now, we know that he's holding an angel's tooth. So that's pretty fun. Now, a canine would make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like to think that it might just be a big old molar. <laughs> it's not a stabby sword. It's just a big old <laughs> a big molar. Actually, I guess the bottom of a molar is pretty stabby. But not slicey. Well, depends on how you slice it. I mean, angel molar. It's a shard of a of a molar, maybe, and that could be slicey. However, however well the angel tooth cuts, I don't trust Catherine's analysis of what constitutes a deep cut, because Masego quotes, "To embrace contrition is to feel the bite of regret," and she is a little surprised to hear this. She tells us that was verbatim from the Book of All Things, and not one of the better known passages either, and. I'm not so sure I trust Catherine Foundling to know the lesser-known passages. I'm thinking this middle-of-the-road at best, because she is impious. Impious? Yeah, impious, but I made it imp. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a very normal way to pronounce the word. My my apologies. That's on my bad. Yes, it is your bad. Oh, thanks. Apprentice finishes up, checking on her. She's fine, just full of necrosis because of the necromancy. Mm Mm-hmm. And he says, we're done for now. I want to check on that necrosis in the morning, though. And Catherine agrees. Probably a good idea. You should probably explain to me what that is when you do. I'm a big fan. And there's there's definitely some, like, named shenanigans at work here with the timing, because these wants to speak up on that. But, oh, unfortunately, somebody knocked on the door right as he was about to explain. And in comes, you know, the rest of the crew. Juniper, Aisha, Nock, all the... All the all the cool kids are here now. Roland? No. Aisha, Nock, Juniper. You said all the cool kids. Oh, so Kairos is here. All the cool kids in the 15th. They've come to, to break up the nerd party of, you know, Catherine, Z's, and Hawkroom, the three nerds, and ask if one of those nerds did in fact punch a giant snake until it died, which is which was, of course, the subject of a, a bet between uh, a couple of the people here. It's, it's all good fun. Everybody's together. Everybody's happy that the devils have been beaten back-ish. Catherine brought up a pretty small group, not to face the devils, but which eventually faced the devils. Mm-hmm. And they lost all the wounded, which is a big deal. But out of the cohort she took, 40 dead. And you don't want 40 dead, but you really don't want to be in a place where losing just 40 from a sort of side expedition when all is said and done. Mm-hmm. You don't want to then go to that put our final numbers at a little above 1,100. Losing 40 should not be the point where you worry about your total numbers. Yeah. The 15th is not in great shape. No. That should be the I, title of the series. <laughs> I mean, Catherine acknowledges that since she, the response to 40 deaths in a legion, which, you know, it, it's a lot of people to die, but in a legion that's supposed to be a few thousand people. Her response is, we can't afford to keep taking fatalities like this. Yeah, you started off with barely anybody. Losing people is 
pretty rough here, and uh, it's uh, it's a rough situation to be in. Fortunately, Aisha's there to notice. Don't worry, most of the people who died were wounded already. Uh, pretty 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 pricey of her, I would say. It's not the time for sentiment. A soldier's job is to die, of course, and also to kill devils. Well, they. Oh come on, what now? <laughs> Catherine says that they, she thinks that they killed maybe twenty, and Z's bursts into the conversation to make his points here that he's been waiting to say. First of all, devils aren't technically killed, just dispersed beyond coherence. Cool. But then he takes advantage of that time, this this moment in the conversation to speak, to say, a necrosis is when flesh begins to die because of internal humors. A fantastic jump from right before everybody walked in. The timing of this is very good. And we get a great response from Catherine. Uh, she raises an eyebrow at him and says, Yes, we all knew the second one. Why mention it? It's great. I love all of our friends being together again and being goofy with each other. This is this is good. Things are dire. There's devils. There's a demon. People are dying. Cat did a necromancy on herself and shouldn't have or shouldn't have been able to. But the banter's fun. Is this, by the way, I'm not legally speaking a doctor, so I just want to check. Is this a standard medical definition? Flesh begins to die because of internal humors. Uh, I am legally speaking not not a doctor, and yes, that's the that's the legal definition of necrosis. Magnificent. But Catherine actually wonders at his outburst because does he have to do that? Can he help himself? Is that his name? And she decides it was, and then decides that was a dangerous weakness, the kind of exploitable flaw that made you reveal your master plan because a hero bantered a little too close to home. And this never comes up with The Apprentice again, right? Like, in terms of, oh no, things fell apart because someone bantered at Masego. I don't think it ever is, like, a, a, a dangerous thing for him. I don't think it ever comes up in combat. I think it's the kind of thing that if Zs weren't a member of the Woe and had, you know, gone against Catherine at some point, probably she would have found a way to abuse it. Maybe. But So this is a moment that's about Catherine and learning more about how names work so she can avoid pitfalls. Yes, that's fair. Though also, she's not always right about names, so she could just be wrong here, too. What? <laughs> True. You want evidence that she's not always right about names? Okay. Was I similarly affected by my role? I'd wondered once or twice whether I'd gotten struggle because I so often got in over my head or whether it was the other way around. And I gotta say, she's not going to get struggle because she so often gets in over her head because of that were the case, every named would get struggle if the if when the chips were down. Black would go to kill a name, and they would suddenly manifest struggle because they were in over their head every single time. C Catherine is just you know a little struggle bug. Maybe I would say struggle probably has to is only ever going to be associated with names attached to either young or either young people or people in transition to other names. Like there's no way. A new, even, but, uh, you know, there's no way the, uh, I don't know, which of the woods is going to have struggle. She she showed up and was just powerful, you know? Even if she had lacked an aspect when Black showed up to defeat her, there's no way that she manifests struggle. Squire, Kneel sure. before me. I am Dread Emperor Imperius, and I will struggle a lot. Right, I... A squire, sure. An apprentice, maybe. A, a pit fighter type name, a brawler, something like that, sure. But there's no way that, yeah, 
Kairos would not Maybe have gotten struggle. Maybe One Punch Queen. The Hierarch would not have gotten struggle. One Punch Queen, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe she just keeps that when she transitions, sure. Actually, maybe she only has one aspect. Punch? Yeah. That would be a pretty good... Like, there are aspects that are basically just cut or slice, so it'd be fantastic if there was just punch. The Saint of Swords has met her match. (laughs) What's your domain? Fists. No. Keep it punch. Well, her aspect is punch, but her domain is fists. That's how it works, right? Yeah, as long as uh, the domain's name is plural and it's not the aspect, I'm here for it. All right. You know, while all their problems will be solved, if they could fist it to death, things are still pretty good. The team's back together, and Catherine had a bad run, but here in Marchford, they had the whole Legion, so things are fine. But there's a riot in, in the This city. is a riot. I think we are very funny. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, in the... Te- yeah, the people aren't happy because buildings are being knocked down, houses are being knocked down to prepare to defend against devils and a demon, and there was a riot. However... Hawkroom just got rid of the riot by himself without beating people up or whatever. He talked, he, he logically talked down a riot. He told them that they can let, you know, the houses get torn down or they can share the houses with a demon. And he promised that the 15th would rebuild when the battle was done. Great. And that stopped a riot. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this really feels like a, uh, that's just Hawkroom moment, not really an adjutant moment. And, do you get that vibe, too? Entirely and completely, yes. Good. He's just, you know, the the best at... <laughs> One of Hawkeye's special skills is just beating riots with words. I mean, he's level-headed. That's why he'll never fit in among the orcs ever. True, yeah. That, that is one thing I know about Hawkeye, is he's not a normal orc that other orcs would respect. Now, you know who is a normal orc? Who's that? And good at getting angry? Catherine. Mm-hmm. Uh... Aisha notes that the civilians aren't making protecting their ungrateful hides very easy, which I think is a very reasonable complaint. Because, mm-hmm. frankly, yeah, have you ever worked with people? God bless them all. People are the worst. And Catherine accurately says, they're panicking. Civilians do that. And there's a pregnant pause because, oops, things are getting heated. And then Aisha steps back a bit. And Catherine says the most diplomatic words of her entire life. Before, after, I don't care. She never reaches this height of careful speech. Not necessarily great speech, but careful speech. It's been a long night. I apologized. I want to know she doesn't actually apologize. Right. It's been a long night. My temper is finding targets unworthy of it. But I'm always growing and learning. And I'm very thankful that you have let me know that my actions have had an effect on others. I'm so grateful for your support. Subscribe to my Patreon. And slam that like button. It, they are diplomatic words. It is an interesting conversation, kind of an awkward conversation, because Catherine is aggressive with the civilians do that. And it is picked up on by at least one other person in the room, Aisha, who is the politician, so it makes sense, that there's a Callow and Precy divide here, that there's something going on there, because her apology... Uh, uh, Aisha's apology is, I didn't mean it on a comment. I didn't mean it as a comment on Callowans in general. And you just, you can feel this distance grow in this moment because she's concerned about what Catherine is doing and the anger. And when Catherine apologizes, you get Aisha's response, 
think no more of it. A little formal, but fine. But then she refers to Catherine as my lady. I know that this is early on and Aisha is still a bit formal compared to everybody else and always will be. But referring to Catherine as my lady in the middle of a an apology or a, a, an acceptance of an apology, rather. And the the descriptor that is used in the text here is she replies politely. There's a there's a very awkward amount of distance going on in this conversation. Kat really overstepped, and everybody seems to have recognized that, including Catherine. Uh, there's definitely a lot of, you know, lack of eye contact going on in the room. But then Hawkram steps in, because Hawkram knows how to do everything when it comes to people, and moves the conversation towards figuring out, you know, manpower issues and logistics. It's great. Everything stays hunky and... It's even approaching Dory until Catherine notes that, hey, some devils can dig underground and some devils, I don't know, they're like fireflies and fly. And apparently that's a problem because they're mage takers. They burrow into the mage's neck. They take over the body and they improve your magic ability. So it's totally worth it. But they also take you over. So that's real bad if you had like a named mage around. But also, I'm curious about this. He notes that they make magical ability more powerful, and because of that, there are rituals where diabolists bind them to themselves, which makes perfect sense to me, especially in praise. Oh, yeah. But I'm so curious what the downsides of that are. I can see some of the risks pretty obviously. Like, I don't, I don't actually know that it could go wrong and they'll take you over and be a destructive force, but obviously that's the case, right? Like, yeah. But to my knowledge... Apprentice, to my knowledge, Wakesa, to my knowledge, Aquia, none of them actually use this. And all three of them are immensely powerful, of enormous control. And at least one of them is just, you know, pricey cartoon mad villain, especially right now. How fierce are these downsides that none of them, I don't think dare is the right word. I don't doubt they're daring, but none of them calculate that that's the move they choose to do. I. I don't know. I I would guess that what it comes down to is it's not. There's probably less of a well. You have to do this prep, and if you get it exactly right, you get the results you want, and it works perfectly. But there's probably a layer of risk, a chance that it goes wrong, that's out of your control. And for the people that you mentioned, the risk, however slight, of something else being in control, of you not being in control of what's going on, makes that just an, a completely it's a complete non-starter for them. It's it's absolutely not within their character to consider it as a possibility. Huh. Well, I guess individually, they each can have that kind of character. As long as you're not talking about Precy as a whole, because it'd be kind of weird to talk about character traits for an entire nation of people, right? You know, except Callow, where... Oh, I mean, they're all mud bugs and mudworms. Mm-hmm. Callow, Callow is a monolith, as they say. And mm. Callow gets... Colin probably has some pretty, uh, you know, normal, regular people slogans um, that they just have posted on street signs and the like. Because there's some concerns about finding weaponry and making sure they have weaponry for people. And Pat is taken aback that these weird foreigners don't understand Callow. Apparently, she says, half the houses in the cities will have swords and spears stashed under the floorboards or hidden away in the attic. And, I mean... First of all, half is a lot. And second of all, Callow really is just rural the West, huh? I mean, I, I, a Callowan being told, 
give up your weapons and saying come and take them or you know that kind of thing is very much uh <laughs> it just it, it, it it's the right kind of vibe right so i'm imagining a nice don't tread on me flag right but instead of a rattlesnake it's, it's just a stable hand standing over the horse so they just stabbed while staring down a pricey occupier come and take it yeah uh that that's pretty callowin Apparently, what's also Callowin is volunteering for the military all the time. Um, Kat says that the bulk of the kingdom's host, whenever there was an invasion, was made up of volunteers. Do you think she means that there is a levy in Callow, but they never have to conscript because once a levy is called, people sign up freely? Or does she legitimately mean that an invasion happens and a significant percentage of Callowans under of, of the right age show up with their weapons and they point us at the enemy. Is Callowan that militant? Is Callow that militant? That is, <laughs> they're pretty intense down over there. I think you have sixty-five-year-old farm women working out in the field. They've got a cart there. They got their pitchfork. They're just throwing hay down onto the field like you do. And all of a sudden, a horn is blown uh, a few leagues away because Price is coming over. And she just drops her pitchfork, reaches into the hay, pulls out the family sword, marches off. Well, here I go, defending again. And that's a pretty cool nation. Helen knows what it's about. And I think we do, too. And I really respect that about them. I mean, they're mostly about horses. Let's be clear. Callow's the horse place. But also swords and spears for everybody. So families pass them from generation to generation. And that's great. But as soon as she finishes telling them that, Catherine does what I would call the powerist move ever, and also what I would and do do all the time. And she just starts singing at all of her officers. So pick up your sword, boy, here they come again. And down here in the mud, it's us who holds the line. She just sings out of nowhere. I don't know what tune this has, or else I'd do it. Lernia is very much a musical place. Every every Everybody's got a song, which, I mean, that's... People in the real world have songs, too. I, I don't want to act like they don't. Oh, no, there are no songs in real life. Oh, never mind then. Otherwise, we'd be singing right now. So this isn't the musical episode? Should we do a musical episode? Dang it, I feel like we have to now. Maybe we start now. The problem with doing a musical episode is that it subjects our listeners, who I very much appreciate and like a whole lot, to my singing, and I that feels rude in a way that isn't, you know, our, we kind of have a vibe of being rude to our listeners sometimes, but there's a difference between haha banter and now you're forced to listen to my singing. You can do cool 90s style educational raps. Where I just kind of talk with a little bit of a rhythm and, uh, okay, I need a couple weeks notice so I can make sure to get like the sunglasses and a chair that I can sit backwards on. Absolutely. Will you be going as yourself or someone in, or will you just like assume the role of the characters in the book? Uh, well, I'll, I'll have a pretty cheap costume that's where the, the clothing is a little out of date. Like, it's the wrong era for what I'm doing, and the hair is just a cheap wig, but you know what I'm going for. Like, it's it's kind of a stereotypical garb. Okay. I lost the momentum. I, n- I don't know how to build. <laughs> so, after Cat sings, there and everybody re- realizes, wow, Cat was really cool. We go back to actually trying to figure out how to deal with a demon, because... While Kalo is cool, giving a bunch of peasants the, their heirloom spears and putting them in front of devils is probably not the answer. 
So there's some back and forth about how to organize things and the logistics here. And then Nock pauses to consider some words and then makes a request. He... Oh, he's had a hard time, so he wants to sit out in this battle? No, he wants his soldiers, his Kabili, to be the one facing the Silver Spears directly. I get he's mad about Nilan, he wants revenge, but I feel that this is misguided. At this point, are the Silver Spears really the same consciousnesses that did the bad thing? Also, for crying out loud, it is so wild to hold a personal grudge against a military unit because some other people in the unit killed a guy you like. But more importantly, these are like these are th- the demon spears now. Getting revenge on them, you want to you want to beat them, you want to kill them. They're bad. But treating this as the moment to get revenge for Nilan is a li- it's it's just misguided. However, the fifteenth is not misguided. No, they are well guided. <laughs> Kat, Kat says she seems to be willing to entertain this idea, but she hesitates because she's not sure where the Silver Spears will attack, and Nock doesn't even give that the time of day. He just says, ah, between you and the Hellhound, I'm sure a good guess will be made. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's a very fair point. When you're being led by Juniper and also Catherine, I think you're going to have a pretty good idea about how the battle's going to go. And worth mentioning, because it always is, Kat's response to that is... To clench her fingers. That is number eighteen. We get uh, when when Catherine is willing to to do this, she's willing to entertain this idea. She says, "Hey, no red rage though. Like, keep it cool. We gotta win this battle." And Nock swears that he will not. That he will not lose his cool. And he offers a, an interesting oath. You know, a little bit of orc culture here uh, that we get to to look a bit a little bit into. He says. I swear to you, I will not. On my father's blood, I make that oath. Cool. Swearing on your father's blood, great. But the follow-up to that is, may my clan bury me unmarked if I lie. Ooh. A little bit about orc funerary things, or at least burial practices. There's, It's not cremation. It's not, you know, having a marked grave is important, and apparently very important if he's making a very serious oath and the collateral for that oath is my grave will be unmarked and hawkram takes in a sharp breath at that like he's he's suitably impressed by the by the level of the oath that knock is taking here so that you know cool learn a little bit about what's important to orcs when it comes to dying dying is important to orcs also i have to say it's an oath not lightly made as uh cat notices Probably also a tough one to keep. Isn't the whole thing with the Red Rage that Nock can't control it? Fair, but Bridge Boy. Kaladin's here? No, he he was Goblin Fired. Rip. And Goblin Fire even brings Stormlight. They should just throw Goblin Fire in the Everstorm. Wow, yeah. Huh. That would be such a bad idea. <laughs> what is <laughs> I was trying to. I, was, I started like trying to parse through the ramifications and got stuck instantly on. But the Everstorm is just one spren. Catherine allows him his revenge, even knowing that Juniper is not going to like it. But that doesn't matter because Catherine tells us there was a debt there to settle. And all I'm saying is, heck and Callowin, can can you just? I couldn't deny him his revenge. You're you're, you're the general. This, this is a demon. It is. It is. It, it's explicitly your job to deny him things if it's not good for stopping the demon. Yeah. Also, though, 
got to think about morale, right? And I have a feeling that Knox morale would be better here than if she said, no, go sit in the other corner of the battle like you're told. Fair. But yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Meanwhile, Catherine asks the son of Wakesa, the sovereign of red skies, how good he is with Ward. And the boy shrugs and says, I could prevent anything from outside creation from entering this room, given a bell and the right tools. This whole exchange is already perfect. This is not what my note is on. Because she tells him, I don't mean for you to ward a room. How hard would it be to cover the entire city? Uh. That's so, uh, that he actually replies, that's, and he has to stop himself. Insane, yes, but not impossible. What's the, what, what? I love him, but also he hesitated. And normally he's right into talking about impossible impracticalities. And we get a neat little thing here too, because yeah, he hesitates, he has to think through it. It's absurd to try it, but not impossible. And Hawkram is impressed. Oh, I didn't think you were powerful enough to do that. I didn't think you had that kind of juice in you, he says. And <laughs> uh, Ziz explains that it's not about the power you can provide. It's about what you can accumulate. It's warding. It's ritualistic. It doesn't come from your personal strength. But he does note he can't think of any practitioners who would have, specifically here, the juice enough to ward an entire city from their own power, except perhaps the dead king. So, you know, a couple of hints about this guy. Uh, one, good at wards. Two, has a lot of juice. He is a supremely juicy man. I do think of the dead king as being the juiciest person on Colernia. Okay, I'm really glad to hear you say that because, like, I've always felt that way, and I wasn't sure if that's, like, something I'm putting in or... Uh, no, that's a relief. Yeah, Nessie is juicy. But, you know, you don't actually have to be that juicy. I'm Masego is plenty juicy, don't get me wrong. But not, like, Dead King juicy. But you don't have to be that juicy to really pull off something enormous. And then he says just a beautiful line, because it's just like, ooh, how magic-y. What a fun and whimsical magic-y idea. What I need is a census of the number and location of hearths in the city. All of them. Oh! And we don't really get an explanation why. In fact, Catherine's about to explain, ask why, and I'm very curious about that. But, uh-oh, the window explodes, and a... What? Who could it be? How well, do they look? <laughs> I was going to ask if you wanted to, to give us a description of this new person, because when important people show up and are described, you've historically enjoyed providing that description for posterity okay uh so imagine like a mix between a raccoon and like just almost a goblin but a human so a goblin raccoon human Uh and give her a big old bow and uh she's gotta be like super sexy naturally and she's 90 percent scarf like anime protagonist scarf are we describing like a gender bent sly cooper here Basically, yeah. They're not quite that sexy. Okay, I was going to say, I am in. Uh, but that, of course, was E.E.'s description direct from the text. Mm-hmm. May I offer my own interpretation of the writing I created with my skills? Yeah, if you want to summarize, sort of, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, so let's say, let's call her a woman dressed in fine white chainmail going down to her knees in a skirt. Over it, she wore a leather coat that covered her arms up to the wrist and came up in a hood. Her lower face was covered by dark linen, but I could see her dark ochre skin betraying a bloodline from across the Tyrian Sea and delicate hazelnut eyes. 
On her back, there was a quiver, an almost absurdly large longbow strapped, but the weapon she had out was the long knife in her hand. I know I'm not as good as E.E. E. with the Sly Cooper thing, but... Right. Uh, so, can we just... A, a real brief summary of that. Archer's really, really cool, huh? Like, honestly. Until... If it weren't for her personality, I would even think of her as being cool when reading this. Got her. Yeah, you did. Uh, she rolls in and immediately begins taking on three other named by herself and makes it look very easy. Uh, Adjutant doesn't even hesitate and tries to attack her, and she just says, no thanks. Uh, there's the apprentice in here, and he weirdly just launches directly into tentacle play from just the word go. So a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, she's completely unfazed, of course. Dodges spells. People not only listen to this podcast, but give us money. For the right. words that, yeah, what of it? Look, okay, no, hold on. You're you're acting like what I said was just nonsense. It like didn't really fit. Here, let me read what happens here. The stranger moved towards the apprentice, but with a snarl, he cast another spell. Dark squid-like flesh grew around his outstretched hand, and a flurry of tentacles spread toward the enemy at breakneck speed. And then she grabs the tentacles and pulls on them to, you know, throw him off balance. It goes poorly for cat and hockram and z's here like how poorly though she she pulls one down she punches where's hockram did you say hockram yeah hockram tried to attack her uh and oh way up there and when she deflected the first spell that uh z's tried to use she deflected it with hockram and he went flying yeah so hockram goes flying she pulls Masego over, and then she runs up and she punches Catherine and then knives against her throat and hostages her. He uses Catherine's own domain against her? Yeah. Wow. Maybe that's why she never became one punch queen. Uh, she got punched. Yeah, that would do it. But Masego's already ready in lightning. This mysterious stranger already has Catherine hostage and had a knife against her throat, and she says, stop casting that web of lightning, love. Hey, love, it's official. They're dating. <laughs> this leads us to some of the weirdest bravado that we see in this entire story. I feel like you've done that twice now. I have. And she's got the, a knife at her throat, Catherine does, and she says, are we? Uh, answering the question, "Are we, we're done here, or the statement that we're done here. Cat says, are we? Calmly. I've walked away from having my chest more or less split in half. If you think a slit throat is going to do the trick, I have a surprise for you. Cat's swagger here, the way that she's like trying to I don't know, intimidate this intruder into ending the fight is saying, I've lost fights way worse than this before. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. I love Catherine for that. And the stranger just laughs at that. Good to know. <laughs> it's great. Uh, but she goes on to say, if I'd wanted everybody dead, everybody in this room dead, you would be, which seems to be the case. You know, let's have a discussion. However, I want to bring something forward, and I don't know where I land on this, but I want to hear your thoughts and see what if we can arrive somewhere with it. He says that if she'd wanted everybody in the room dead, they would be. Is that true? Obviously, this fight was incredibly one-sided. Archer won the fight. Period. There, there was no, there's no equivocation. Like she, she wiped the floor with the other three. However, does creation, when it comes to named fights, fudge them differently based on the stakes 
did the roles involved here, did the, the role of Squire and Apprentice and Adjutant and Archer know that this was a non-lethal fight coming from Archer, that this, the stakes here were not the death of three names, and so the fight was allowed to be more lopsided? It, basically, if she had been trying to kill them, would Struggle have been able, would Cat have been able to pull on Struggle immediately and you know what did she have thought to would would hawkram have been launched into archer rather than away from the fight you know things like that would would things have been slightly different to make it a more even fight or alternatively is this such a lopsided fight because archer is just that good and so uninvolved in the story so far that a good ambush is all that matters that this was a well-done fight and that the story beats behind the different characters aren't really coming into play here i don't know just wanted to add any thoughts on that the first one this is totally because the stakes aren't really here and therefore the story propels archer because this is a world of stories Mm -hmm. we've got a story going on here the story has propelled her even if it didn't suppress the others which maybe maybe not i don't know she's propelled and therefore she would not have had the same momentum and it would only have taken one misstep to lose so hard this is totally rigged. Yeah, I, I think it is worth noting that in cases where there is there are named fights and there isn't an established story yet, it often can just come down to who does a better job fighting or preparing for the fight. Like that's a huge part of what Catherine and the woman when they're doing the hero hunting in Kalo and the same thing for the calamities. Yeah, it's, but these are step cousins. Yeah, okay. I mean that's fair. I, I just mean that there could be an extra layer there, but yeah, it's interesting that because of the the stakes here, there's like a level of meta storytelling that comes no, up to stepsisters. Stepsisters, yeah, that comes up to our level, like the the meta storytelling. Because if if Archer just swung in and cut Cat's throat right here as part of this attack, that's kind of a weird way for this story to go, and that kind of trickles down into the actual story, like the the story within the story. It's I don't, I don't know. There's a lot going on there. It's just a I thought. Um, but yeah, the, the fight goes exactly as you'd expect, given Archer is Archer and the other three are in either transitional or not truly combat-focused names. Uh, and then she introduces herself. She's Archer. And <laughs> then she gives a very formal explanation for her presence. She says, as the mandated representative of the Lady of the Lake, I've come to take custody of Hunter. And I think that's just a very fun... I think she's having fun with this because I have to assume that the actual arrangement was over in Refuge. uh, uh, Over in Refuge, Ranger walked up to Archer and said, hey, go get my idiot back from Black's idiot. And that was about the extent of it. Yep. (laughs) I think Archer is glad to be away. I mean, yeah. But she brings up an interesting thing. They do have a hero here. Oh, yeah. And I realize they've been stressed. And I realize that he's bad news for them. Mm-hmm. But given the situation they're in, since they haven't already, I think the question of, do we try to get Hunter up? Might actually have been about to come up, because uh, he's kind of their last secret weapon. I think Hunter getting played against the demon may have happened. I don't know if that discussion would have happened. I think it probably would have been Cat deciding to do it. It's named stuff, you know? It's named stuff. It's named stuff. And you know what I would like to name? What would you like to name? You as the person to say your line. All right, I will say my line, which is, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today, folks. Yay!
Yeah, that's fine. Oh, and join us next time on Podcast Gets Talking to Reddit Reddit. We discuss a new ally, a new plan, and a new aspect. My guess is it's going to be Wade in their blood. Podcast Guys Talking Erratic Errata is a fan-made podcast discussing Erratic Errata as a practical guide to evil. Check out the full serial at practicalguidetoevil.wordpress.com. Enter music for this episode was Cradle of Your Soul by Lemon Music Studio. Music for the epigraph was Fashion Electronic Pop Red Tape by Keyframe underscore audio. Thingy Clench Noise is Wind Fantasia by Pixabay. Outer music, which even now is elevating my voice to the realms of the divine, is The Price of Freedom by Daddy S. Music. The music is provided by the generous license of pixabay.com slash music. Go and support all the artists who make this work possible by writing their stories and sounds free of charge. If you'd like to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at The Long Price. If you'd like to support the world being a better place, don't go to Twitter. It's bad. You have questions, comments, or contributions? Are you overwhelmed by the urge to write in and just say hi? Email us at thelongprice at gmail.com. If you'd like to materially support our work, find our Patreon at patreon.com slash pgtee. Join the ranks of our patrons and be called by name. Receive personalized stories and art and access at least one patron-exclusive tangent, including one from this episode, where we spend about 15 seconds talking about Goblin Fire and Stormlight. Every fan of Brando Sando? This is your time to shine. We implore you, don't consider joining unless you're already supporting all the artists who make this possible. Special thanks to our patron and villainous hero, Gray, our patron and liege, always the claimant, never the named, our patron and guardian, the Fae Knight, our patron and mentor, the traveling teacher, our patron and dear friend, Aaron, and of course, our patron and inspiration, the hopeful romantic. As well as the horse of cattle below, next week, chapter 25, Wake. I really wanted to put in a locked tomb reference here and use the whole name of Wake, but... No spoilers there. Read it. It's good. <laughs>